Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed's doing something no other job site has done. Now with Indeed, businesses only pay for quality applications matching the sponsored job description. Visit Indeed.com slash to start hiring now. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Spinsters, a podcast where we are sadly leaving Pride Month, but not before an interview that I absolutely loved. So a couple of months ago, I talked to Sue Wicks, who is a WNBA and Rutgers legend, and among her many accolades, she was also the first openly gay player in the WNBA. She came out in 2002, and that was a long long time before Nike had a rainbow line that dropped every June and Adidas was pinning pride tweets and the league itself had a float in pride. I wanted to know what that was like coming out when there was really no precedent for it in American basketball. How are you today? Awesome. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm in Kentucky. Are you in East Moriches? Is that how you pronounce it? Um, I'm actually in Mastic Beach. Um, my farm is in East Mauritius. Sue retired from basketball after the 2002 season, and she's now the owner of an oyster farm called Violet Cove Oysters. It's kind of my semi-off-the-grid fantasy that she's living. She's barely online, and she spends a lot of her time reading or in the water. I've been looking at a lot of things from way back, trying to kind of figure out more about you and your family heading into this. But something I was really interested in was a quote that has nothing to do with anything. So if we don't, if you don't mind, if we start there, um, I saw this quote that said, it was talking about your, your oyster farm. And it said that like you said, water has been in my family or no, sorry, I believe being on the water has always been in my blood. And then I have baymen, boat builders, sea captains, and a couple pirates in my family tree. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Like, wh- who are the pirates? <laughs> well, I think the world was different. It used to be different. And they were rum runners. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say they were pirates, but I, I think that was part of maybe, you know, um, maritime um, early America. So mostly they were boat builders and big ship builders. Um, with the ships that were doing, you know, before there were railroads, before there was, you know, trucks, before there were roads, um, the sea lanes were everything. And, um, you know, building those big boats is a big part of, you know, early America when my family first came here. So I don't know how you get to know that something is your place. Um, you just feel it. And I loved being on the water since I was a little girl on my dad's boat. And anytime when I was playing basketball, um, I asked my agent to be near a body of water. And, you know, coming back and having the possibility to have an oyster farm is just, um, just feels like there's a little bit of divinity there. Um, and I certainly feel in that space on the water, um, ancestral, um, 
spirits, you know, cheering me on and pushing me. Um, so, and I think that is really a space, you know, out on the water 100, because we're speaking about Prospect Park. I always feel very comfortable when I was in Brooklyn. I have to dip into Prospect Park. It rejuvenates or regenerates me. And out on the water, it's such a, um, a space of completely nature that you're immersed in that's untouched. And I feel like spirits are really alive in those places. There's nothing to mute them or, you know, dull the, um, the sound of them out. Um, you're just there in a really special, um, you're communing with nature. But I, I also feel sometimes I'm communing with, you know, my ancestral spirits for sure. To me, it sounds like Sue Wicks is who Clay Thompson aspires to be. And back on land, too, she's who a lot of people aspired to be, players especially. Sue is one of the greatest players in Rutgers history. She won the Naismith National Player of the Year Award, and she was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2013. You might remember her from her time with the Liberty. She was a fan favorite, but she didn't end up in the W immediately. Obviously, the, the future of like professional women's basketball was just in a precarious spot um, for the years that you were in school and, and for some years after too. Did you know what was next for you? Did, was that always in your mind or did you think after this, okay, I'm going to go get like a marketing job? My dream, you know, since I started playing basketball, um, it honestly, the first thing, my first thing that I wanted to do was go to Rutgers. That was the first school that I knew of that offered scholarships. And that was when I was a sophomore in high school. So it stuck in my mind. They won a national championship in 82. So I was in the 10th grade and I saw that it was like this big, like the little byline that they won a national championship. And then my coach told me, and they give scholarships. So I was like, that's where I'm going. So no matter who recruited me from, you know, my senior year, Rutgers was my dream to go to Rutgers. Mm. Um, and then I remember I did an interview with my little high school newspaper and the reporter was asking me, what did I want to do? And I was like, I want to go to Rutgers and then I want to be a professional basketball player. And I was, you know, the, what was available was Europe at that point. And I know that they paid, um, $20,000, a year and you could have a car and an apartment. And for me, it was like, oh my gosh, they're going to pay me to play basketball and I can live there. That just sounded like heaven to me. So I did, that's what I would dream about. That's what I wanted to do. And then um, as I moved through, you know, college, there were some more opportunities, a little bit more than 25,000. But the thing was, I had the opportunity to go play. So after Rutgers, I had an offer to go to Japan or to Italy, and I chose to go to Italy first. Did that feel, did that period feel like, um, a re I mean, you seem like you're extremely optimistic. Did it feel like a real chance to have like this unique solitude? Um, because even though you're on a team, you are you are in a foreign country and you are ultimately like pretty alone right your family's not there old friends aren't there yeah um and I was pretty naive like or that anything could go wrong or you know anything like that so I would do things I would travel a little bit um I would see the place 
and and just live there. So was there solitude? Um, yeah, there was ex- more than that. It was it bordered on extreme loneliness mm-hmm. and um, feeling very alone, you know, and that no one could relate to that feeling and what I was doing. And then I would even ask myself, why are you doing this? This is horrible. Sometimes it would be horrible. Um, looking back, it was magnificent, but the, I certainly spent a lot of days that it felt like I was in prison, you know, and I'd be in my room and just there and I would have practice, you know, a couple hours a day and the rest of the day you're free to do whatever you can, you can figure out. Um, I think I was always kind of shy. So a lot of time I spent reading, you know, that was before and television in Europe, in Italy, when I first went over, I mean, ridiculous, nothing like now, like the television went off at like nine o'clock at night, number one, (laughs) there were two channels and there wasn't programming. There weren't movies. There weren't things. There's no satellites. There's, it just didn't exist. They had some game shows, maybe, you know, I don't even know what they had, but it was horrible. They had some sports on the channels, um, but even how they produced a um, basketball game was nothing like the NBA at the time. So they had some pretty lame, it was like a high school basketball game, they're professional. It was Mm. just like one camera and not even going back and forth, just one view of it. So they didn't even know how to produce a sports game. So you, you just go to the game and watch, you don't even watch it on television. So my life was really basketball and, I read a lot um, and we yeah, had a lot of solitude and I was so happy to come home because there was, you know, there was no, it wasn't coming in. There was no Zoom meetings. There was no internet. There was no satellite. Even the telephone was before like um, the cables that had a clear, the, the reception was horrible and mm. super expensive. And the mail system, oh my gosh, the Italian mail system when I first got, it was like notoriously bad, but it was worse than even that. Like you would send a letter and it would get to the US two months later. And we'd be like, how is that even possible? Where are you going with it? And it had to be on that like um, air, air mail paper that was super light and then it would still cost a dollar to send it. It was a ridiculous time. You know, it was, if I think that the late 80s felt like 1950s in Italy, even the trains were like so antique. Everything was antique and old there. And it's very quaint and um, charming if you're going to visit. You know, if you're going to visit Rome, if you're going to visit these places, but to live there, it's like, what is going on? (laughs) Where's my MTV? And then you were abroad for, was it over 10 years before you came back and played in the W? Yeah. So total, I played 16 seasons in Europe. Um, Like the 10th year, um, the WNBA started. So I played in the WNBA my last six years while also going over to Europe to play. And uh, right away, did you think, okay, I have to play for the New York team or would you just have been open <laughs> for anything? I wasn't open for anything. I was, um, I was 30 years old and I'm thinking at that time, you know, how much longer am I gonna play? Um, I was really, I saved my money when I played thinking that, you know, 
I'm not going to play that long and I'm making decent money. So I better save as much as I can before I, or before I get hurt or before I don't want to play anymore. So it was getting close to the end of me playing. And then, um, when the WMB started, it really rejuvenated me and made me feel young again that I wanted to play. So those six years were, um, I felt like a rookie every year um, when I started. And I, you know, felt like a different type of basketball that I was playing even when I went back to Europe to play. So mm. it just really, it was a real shot in the arm for me as a basketball player. Um, and your experience well, I guess, what year was the first, uh, the year that you came back and played in the W? 1997. 1997. So when you, or at least on the internet, from what I've been able to trace, um, of you coming out was 2002. Were you informally um, open with your, your friends, family, teammates? Yes. Yeah. I think that... Um... Certainly living overseas for 10 years and just where I came from. Um, I was very honest with myself. Um, the transition of telling myself or realizing becoming myself and knowing that I'm gay took a little bit of time. And then I got to do that on my own terms and the, as, as long as it took me to figure out. Um, and then being in Europe in a way, um, like I said, there was a lot of solitude, or you said solitude, there's a lot of time alone to think and, and become myself. And this is me and um, just being comfortable with that. So I think it was a very, um, for 30, very self-aware of who I was and very confident that that is me 100%. It's not, and no one was telling me who I am which can happen when you're a young athlete um, and you come into the league, like now the WNBA, and they're like, we wanna market you this way and you're gonna look like this. And, you know, even if you come in, they don't wanna force you in a direction, which might've been in the past. They're, they're like, here's how you look right now. And this is very marketable. And they might not be saying it, but that's the direction you're marketing takes and you can be doing it yourself on your instagram be mm -hmm. creating this persona and not taking enough time to say you know when you're so young is this still me is this still me is this still me um or is it just an image so there's a very you know there's a huge disconnect so i think that um i was blessed to have all that time to become myself on my own terms and without a lot of um other conscious is you know voices and in you know um, opinions and reflection telling me who I was did you have a I'm gonna sit down with my friends my family tell everybody or did you just say I'm just going to start living my life this way oh no it's um I had girlfriends in college um so that was exciting and also I felt very ashamed about it but also elated so it was those two things um going on at the same time so just exploring that and then um I would date um guys and I loved yeah I loved being around um athletes guy athletes um so I would go out on dates with them I, I probably didn't want to 
you know, make out with them, but I loved hanging out with them, <laughs> especially if they were going to pay for the date. I mean, <laughs> we just hung out, had a great time and you're going to pay. This is awesome. <laughs> oh so my God. And then, um, yeah, the weird awkwardness of even just dating, a, um, uh, another woman that was, you know, it was strange and, you know, just trying to navigate that and invent it as you, as you moved along, um, as far as, you know, social cues and references in society, there really weren't a lot how you did this. There was no L word, you know, we were just, you know, just trying to figure it out. And it was like a subculture closeted behind the scenes. You didn't talk about it type of thing. I was surrounded by gay women that either repressed it, um, or they just didn't talk about it. So that was that was the 80s. That's how it was. And then the 90s things opened up with Ellen and Rosie and you know mm. Katie Lang. It was you know that was an explosion of lesbian chic. And that was definitely my. I would play in Europe and come back to New York City, and it was exploding with you know. It was very cool to be a lesbian then. And it was very exciting for me to, to be in that world, touch it a little bit, you know, be a basketball player, but then also this whole thing that was going on in New York City was really exciting. I think the way you phrase that um, is why I have all of these questions because while it might've felt in the moment, like an open secret, like there's no record of open secrets you know what I mean? In the same way yeah, that there's, exactly. so when I'm looking things up and, you know, I'm finding these tennis players and I'm finding, uh, well, that's how I found you. Um, because I was trying to find the first player in the WNBA to come out because my thought process was it's probably extremely, um, it's a, it's a very different experience to come out today and say I'm a WNBA player and oh, I'm gay or I'm a lesbian or I'm bi or, or whatever it might be than it was then. Um, what was your experience? In that very, in the beginning, in the moment when I was asked, it was um, Time Out New York magazine asked me and there really wasn't a big publication but he was a great journalist and I was having, you know, this back and forth with him for over like a three day, you know, let's talk for 45 minutes. So it was a really in-depth interview that he was doing. And we were also at a time, um, well, it's, it's not important, but we were at a time where there had been some comments by athletes in, um, professional athletes in New York that they had a little bit of a, a change. Like they were like, okay, when you do an interview, we're going to sit you down and we'll have um, the PR person from the organization sit there during the interview and they just listen in. And that I'm like, that is not for me, you know, and maybe you can do that with the rookies, but that is not happening with me. And it's not, I'm going to say whatever controversial thing, but I'm going to be authentic. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to otherwise have someone else do an interview. That was my kind of like, I was like, just in a sense, like that real American part of me is like, no, I'm allowed to say what I want. I'm American. I don't belong to this company or any, you know, 
I, I didn't feel any, like I belonged to anybody, mm -hmm. um, a company or a team. I was just me. So anyway, doing the, the thing and he asked me just, um, he said, my editor asked me, he's really pushing me to ask you this question. Are you a lesbian? And I was like, yes. And that was, that was, you know, it was that simple. I think the backdrop is, um, it's 2002. Um, I'm doing all the human right campaign stuff, uh, marriage equality in New York. I'm very engaged in these groups um, and watching people making some really difficult um, personal sacrifice to do these things. And, and at the time you could still, um, you know, there was pressure about how to act, but um, you know, people didn't didn't say who they were even mm. then. Mm. <laughs> so just to say that it was like, why wouldn't I say it? And you know, being silent and not visible is not a good thing. Um, but the other side of it was I had all of these little girls that were fans and it felt like their parents were entrusting me with them. And I just, you know, you have relationships because it's these kids are coming into your life all the time and you want their parents to feel safe um, with you, that you're not a, I don't know, sexual deviant or whatever mm. they may think. So that also came in my mind, like I let a lot of people down and I didn't change anything except just saying who I am. But I know there was, um, you know, my mother was a little upset about it because, you know, it was like, if I don't say that I'm gay, the conversation never comes up and then no one has to make a judgment on it. Um, it was very obvious I was gay because I always had a girlfriend and I, I think that, you know, just had all the credentials of a lesbian, you know, whether it was my clothes, my occupation, you know, the way I held myself. Um, so that was that. And then, you know, people that were so proud of me, um, you know, from high school teachers and coaches, um, I think it it seemed to hurt them that you know I, I just said who I was, um, and you have to deal with that. You know they're just from a different generation, and they feel you know you're pulling apart the fabric of what makes America great and um, you know family values. But I have to be me, so you're asking me who I am, and here's who I am. So that that's basically how it, it came out. Would you say that overall there was more bad response or good response? Um, and how did the WNBA as a league respond or your team respond? No, it really, it really, no. They didn't say anything. Um, there was no public, you know, phone call from the commissioner or from my GM, nothing public was said about it good or bad did you um wish that someone had said something no it was just more of a thing where it's like okay well everyone is confirmed now so that that's that yeah it's it was um it was kind of like I was done with it it wasn't big and and my um I didn't feel I needed to get it out there anymore. I didn't want to talk about it anymore. It's just here it is. And that's it. So it's a very little response, you know, um, overall. There was um, 
quite a few requests to do interviews about the subject. At that time, we were in, um, on a playoff run. So I didn't want to do the interviews. That was my thing because I played for a team sport. And to bring everyone into that when it was just me didn't feel right, you know, because you're always um, trying to maintain the focus of what the team is doing. And that was where that was at. So um, that would be my only thing, trying to navigate after it was open. Um, and I don't think I did another interview that season about it. Our beat writers that would follow us and come to the locker room had known me, some of them, since I was at Rutgers. Mm. Um, and they didn't want to ask me those questions. I remember one, you know, sometimes there'd be five, six, seven reporters crowded around. Um, and then there would be someone that came from a different publication that wasn't a beat writer. And they would ask the question, um, Sue, you just came out as a lesbian. How does that feel? You know, <laughs> and then stick the microphone. And all of the beat writers would just turn and look like, um, <laughs> you've just breached some etiquette here. It mm. just, you know, it's not the right question after a game. It's not the question for this moment. Um, so how does that not become your whole life um, when it was just part of my life, but it became one of those stories that um, was interesting. I don't know if it's, you know, it's it just, you want it to be about basketball. Um, you want it to be about the sport. Um, but I don't think that even at this moment, it's not there. People want to, um, it has to be a more human interest or there has to be some drama or some controversy for you to be interested in women's sports. I get what you're saying. Um, what I'm so interested in, like when I started looking about this um, from the start, what interested me was, I think that, I'll just come out and say it. I think that the W handles a lot of things really wrong. And I don't uh -huh. think that they're very um, good at protecting their players. Uh, we just saw what happened with the Liberty. I'm sure you saw that in their plane. I just want to make a quick producer's note here. Sue and I talked in March, right after the WNBA fined the Liberty $500,000 for chartering flights for its players. I think twice. The league was so upset that it considered terminating the entire franchise. So... I also don't think it has to be said that it is commonplace for NBA teams to have these chartered flights. Um, it was and still is very ridiculous. So I was curious how exactly an earlier iteration of that same league that fined one of its teams in the year 2022 for chartering its players dealt with Sue coming out 20 years before. Um, and I, <laughs> I wanted to know like, when the first player or, or series of players, you know, started saying, hey, I'm gay, um, was the W supportive? Did they go radio silence? Like, did they, did you get a note from uh, no, your team? No, it was radio silent. It was radio silent, um, basically, from the league. But then look where the league has gone since then. So there was a... Um, a pretty big um, change coming up. And then Adam Silver, um, the commissioner is on the um, gay um, pride float, the first professional um, league 
you know, to have a float in a parade mm -hmm. and there's our commissioner on the float. That is huge. Mm -hmm. um, for Glisten in New York, they, they have donated a tremendous amount of money and have had their players, um, NBA and WNBA, out there um, using their platform and encouraging them to do it. Um, they've done a lot of um, public announcements or what are they called when they're like, hey, don't, <laughs> you know, no more the gay PSAs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kids, don't do that. That's not cool. <laughs> you know, so they've done them. Um, so there was, even with the Liberty Organization, after I left and I was gone, a little bit of time, they were like, um, I think it almost came became a marketing plan. They're like, oh my gosh, let's engage in this. Let's lean into this. Um, there's been no, you know, Sue put her, uh, you know, face out there and no one, you know, kicked her out of the league. Let's take a little another step and see, you know, if we can uh, market this and maybe gain some traction and um, more traction in the community, which has always been supportive and was feeling neglected by the Liberty for not promoting them as um, their fan base. So... Yeah, I think that totally subtle changes and, you know, sometimes you have to like, someone has to take a little step into things and it's usually not a league wide or a team wide thing. Um, and they notice, take notes, um, talk about it and um, see if they want to move in that direction. Did you notice it becoming a ripple effect with um, your teammates, your friends in the league or, or just at all? No. Um, because I was from a generation that didn't say you were gay. Mm. Um, a lot of the players were from Kentucky or further down South <laughs> where you definitely didn't say anything. And, um, you know, it was kind of like, you know, as alluding to before that, um, I really disappointed some of my teachers and people in my community because they weren't ready to hear that, especially as a proclamation that makes you think, oh, that person must be proud of their um, behavior, you know, so that it just fell on some ears that you don't want to let people down. And I think part of being um, an athlete is you're really used to people loving you and positive mm -hmm. reinforcement and you being like, oh, we're so proud of you. To jeopardize that is really scary because it, it feels so nice. And then to be a person that, you know, people are talking about and it's the first thing they say, no matter what your accomplishments are, is that you're a lesbian and not, you know, it's not a positive thing. It's not like, oh my gosh, she's the lesbian. She's out there doing lesbian stuff. No, it's like, <laughs> oh, God, this is terrible. You know, so it was like that. So you have to be willing to, I mean, and that's part of life, isn't it? If you're going to be yourself and you're living your life and trying to make yourself happy and authentic to yourself, you might let some people down in the beginning. But in the end, I think it's it's better and healthier to you know be true to yourself and listen to yourself. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites, 
searching for candidates with the right skills. Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring in one place so easy because of sponsoring jobs. No other job site takes care of you like Indeed because with Indeed, you only pay if an applicant meets your must-have requirements. And Indeed's doing something no other job site has done. Now with Indeed, businesses only pay for quality applications matching the sponsored job description. Visit indeed.com slash spinsters to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash spinsters. Indeed.com slash spinsters. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. players you know it's 20 years ago or just have processed it and come around to it like and will say something now like you know that was really brave of you and that was really cool that you did that this is 20 years later and uh, you know that's how long of a lag um sometimes that type of change you know takes and that um you have all these great friends that are evolved and because they've grown up on these ideas, these, you know, it's a little bit different. I think it takes a little bit of processing to through someone's head and a little bit of life that, you know, um, my generation, certainly, you know, and, and, and everyone's a little bit different. So the reception was always evolving. And then, um, you know, even when we go to um, social justice and Black Lives Matter in the WNBA, at first there was pushback. Mm-hmm. We got pushback in a league that's almost 90% Black. Are you insane? So then the league was like, the re- you know, they really changed very quickly and moved into the right direction um, because it was the right thing to do. So I think the league has become more um, agile, perhaps, and a little bit more in the forefront of social justice and and and, and those things. I think they some things um, maybe it's hard to be right all the time, but I do feel, um, from my perspective, that there is a genuine um, wanting to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, with everybody, not just leagues, we can give the grace of when you know better, do better. Um, yeah. I, I'm i surprised. I'm not surprised now that I've talked to you for, um, t- you know, 20, 25 minutes, but I'm surprised that your reaction, if I was in your place, I don't know how I wouldn't just be super bitter um, because now this is like the most supportive league you go to games. It's my favorite um, live sporting event to go to is a women's basketball game because oh. it's so gay. Like it's just like everywhere. You know what I mean? It's like out all having fun. But um, yeah, I'm surprised. I, I guess like. Well, I mean, that's that's just one part of it. I was so embraced by the gay community. I mean, it's so celebrated and so loved. Um, so that's the other part of it. You know, then there were certainly um, 
families that would come up to me when I'm leaving Madison Square Garden and just say, can I talk to you for a minute? And then they would tell me their coming out story with their child and how they used me as, you know, the introduction, like, hey, did you hear Sulex came out as a lesbian? And then like, yeah, well, I am too, you know, and they would tell a story and it was over and over emotional type of stories like that or get a letter or, um, even, I mean, it's like I said, it's 20 years later, I still get letters, you know, and um, I just wanted to tell you this. And now it's more like on social media, like when someone finds me, they'll tell me their story. Um, so it definitely was a moment. It wasn't a, you know, I didn't push it further with doing more interviews. Um, I was just 100% myself not bitter, not elated, nothing. I just, I was myself, like I'm saying, it was all contained inside of me. I don't care so much. I'm, I'm sorry if I disappointed people probably the most. I wasn't trying to change the world, that's for sure. I was just trying to be authentically me. And in the end, I don't know, you know, what, I, what else there is to do or say or be about it. I think the world is a little bit different now and it is more receptive and, and in a way like this that when I came out I was coming coming out like coming out of the closet like I was so ashamed in this deep dark place and like yes I've been doing this awful stuff here and yeah I need to confess like that's the whole premise of coming out and out of the closet now we have celebrations of marriage and celebrations of our first child so it's a, a celebration of love now, if I could have known that back then, I wouldn't have been coming out. I would have done a celebration or something, you know, because that is the right light for it to be in. And that seems so much more, you know, like human and celebration. And this is how I feel. That is beautiful to me. Instead, it's always like, tell us your coming out story, like, and make it really bad. Like it was the Thanksgiving, did your father, you know, throw the turkey out the window, like that kind of like awful, did you ever see your family again? So everyone has like these horrific stories about coming out. So that's where I'm coming from now. These girls that come out now, they're in People Magazine with their weddings and they're six foot five with these long um, white dresses. And then there's their wife who is also a WNBA Hall of Famer. It's like, and they have these beautiful kids and they're traveling to Europe. I was like, look at this shit. This is fantastic. <laughs> and there's the designer of it who went to the wedding. I was like, that's how to do it, not come out. <laughs> time out New York magazine and have my old principal angry with me. <laughs> You're so right though. The the like phrasing makes it sound like you're fessing up to something. Yeah. I've never thought of it like that before. Um no, did your principal well. contact you? No, he just gave me the look. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, oh <laughs> um something else about that time out thing that cracked me up was because I saw this in multiple places too when I was doing uh, my my research was that people asked you about it and they would say well you know like I can't believe you said it like it's such a revolutionary moment what were you thinking in that moment and all of these things that are kind of hinting to what what you're talking about which was like de deconstructing what this moment meant for you and and everything and your answer for every single one of these was like I'm from New York 
I'm going to say it. I'm from New York. I just, I would love to hear what that means because I can picture you saying it now, but you have so many quotes where it's like just being from New York, like if you're gay, you're going to say you're gay. Like, I think that's a direct quote from you. So yeah, like New York is its own country in a sense. In my opinion, it's very different from even Long Island is a different place than New York City. When I lived in New York City, I was in a major world city and here's life going on all around me all kinds of life, all different, you know, people from different places. And there, a lot of them are coming to New York to be themselves. So being around that energy to, to not try and find myself as well and express myself as well as, you know, or not even as well as authentically as possible, just to be a healthy human being, just to, you know, to become myself. And it takes a while to become yourself. And I also was a professional athlete and um, there was something about that um, I felt I had enough that it wasn't going to be devastating, that the Liberty wasn't going to come in the office the next day and fire me or that, you know, people were going to ignore me. I could say that where someone, some girl maybe in Kentucky, you know, didn't feel she had enough to go tell her parents or her best friend who she is for fear of being whatever she had, that little bit of her would be crushed and judged and, you know, put away. So I think that I had, um, I don't even know if it's courage. I just realized that I have enough space that um, I can speak for people that are probably too afraid or can't say those things. And even if they can hear those things to relate to someone else. Um, Rebecca Lobo, my teammate's mother, we went to lunch one day and she was a teacher and she was talking about um, one of the kids that committed suicide and uh, was a young gay kid that just couldn't deal with it. And she did mention it. She goes, they need more role models. They need more role models. People need to say who they are so these kids have someone to relate to. And that was just a conversation. And it definitely was in the back of my head, you know, in the, even in the split second of saying, yes, I am gay in that interview. Um, it was there because all of those things accumulate in your mind that when you say things snap, it wasn't that I'm always just, you know, no, it's the right thing to say. Mm -hmm. Um, cause not everyone's going to look to Rosie or Ellen. Um, sometimes it is, you know, a basketball player from Long Island that you can bring up to your mom and dad and tell that story. Um, well, or maybe then, the, you know, everyone's favorite Rutgers player. Can yeah, you imagine? So You're probably the, the, the breaking ice point for a lot of Rutgers fan families. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Another thing I asked Sue was if her decision to tell that reporter from Time Out magazine that she was gay had anything to do with her retirement, which was suspiciously official in 2003, not long after the article had dropped. And I was really nervous that it did have something to do with her deciding to finally retire after all of the country she'd been in and the time she put in with the Liberty. But it didn't. She told me she just experienced a very unique exhaustion that maybe only athletes on really great teams or athletes in single-player sports can feel. That particular exhaustion from coming so close to winning a championship multiple times 
and walking away multiple times without one. Sue played with the Liberty from 1997 to 2002. And in that span, the Liberty went to the finals four times and lost the finals four times. So Sue moved on, but the W really couldn't move on from her after she left. She's still noticed and loved at Liberty Games, and she's got a larger legacy. Other athletes started coming out, and the league had to move forward with them. And it did.